Hey everybody, it's Todd Dills with Overdrive Radio. Coming to subscribers Friday, July 7th, we've got a bit of a special preview for all of you here. A special report dropping this coming Monday, July 10, with this podcast. It's called Trucking's State of Surveillance. It follows Overdrive's surveying of our owner-operator, small fleet, and company driver readers about monitoring and or tracking capable technologies used in the business. We asked readers to assess the techs they use, from smartphones and ELDs to truck and trailer telematics and various permutations of monitoring video cameras. We asked them to assess those techs and rate what's being given up in costs and or being gained in benefits. Reporting around those results yielded plenty in the way of just how working owner ops and other truckers view how those techs are changing the business and culture, as monitoring goes well beyond just fleets today and down to other business-to-business relationships with brokers and others. But all that reporting also follows attorney and academic Karen Levy's book, Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance, in which Levy tells the story of trucking during a time of transition, before and after federally mandated electronic logging devices came into play in late 2017. The book leans heavily on in-depth work with working drivers and boatloads of other research besides, including leaning in part on Overdrive's own chronicling of the ELD transition over the last decade and more. Our own long-haul Paul Marhofer early on in 2023 suggested interviewing Carrie Levy. That was well before we began work on the special series of features you'll find Monday on the state of surveillance in the trucking business. Today on the podcast, the results of that interview that eventually happened, certainly integral to what's a big report in seven parts. Marhofer and Levy here will take us back to the initial inspiration for the book with FMCSA's first feints toward an e-log mandate more than a decade ago. That was That's a 12-year journey. It was a much bigger chunk of my life than I expected, but... The talk touches on added stress around hours of counting, added pressure on drivers of all stripes from supply chain parties, and dovetails with Overdrive's reporting from late last year on crash statistics since the mandate, too. At a fundamental level, Levy noted, truckers know the problems they face. Detention and parking, how those are intertwined with making the hours of service regulations as onerous as they can be for many, and that they're all fundamentally problems of economy, of finances, of just compensation for the time put in. Just compensation for all of that time. For all the rancor that the ELD mandate engenders, and all the technological intrusiveness that it's in some ways enabled, ELDs can play a role in that just compensation fix. But as Levy has it, there's certainly no panacea, much less any kind of magic safety tool. So if our if our thinking is that, you know, this is a safety technology, it's like failing on its own terms. Um, that isn't to say that it can't have some positive impact or that it might not be like part of a solution. But I think in my view, what would make it, you know, the solutions we actually need are economic, right, are, are based on paying people um, for the work that they're doing. In and some ways, the ELD is a bit of a red herring because the real problem, in my view, is those pressures on, on drivers. On the other side of a break, we'll dive in with long-haul Paul Marhofer's conversation with Karen Levy, author of Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. Keep tuned. Every diesel needs to defend against clogged injectors, low lubricity, and slipping fuel economy. The best defense is the best defender. How's Diesel Defender with Advanced IDX4 Detergent? 
Get a deeper clean, maximum lubricity, and boosted fuel economy. Guaranteed. House Diesel Defender. Get optimal performance. House for every diesel. Find more information about Diesel Defender at HOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWESHOWES
who was genu- <laughs> genuinely inquisitive seemed to work in your favor. I, I could just probably just out of curiosity, do you remember what truck stop you went to? That first that- truck stop was, was Jubitz, which is outside of Portland, Oregon. You know, oh, Jubitz. you went to Jubitz. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. legendary, iconic place. Yeah. yeah so you Jubitz went to is the first one. Um, and then I went to a bunch more just across the Midwest. And then I was on the East Coast for a while. So I went to, I, I don't know, a couple dozen over the years. But Jubitz is where I got started. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the most, I don't know, uh, poignant uh, quote you got from a driver was the guy saying, you know, this is no effing party. We're not out here at a party. Yeah. Remember? And, and, and he really like just sort of just laid it all out there to you. And, oh, um, yeah. He set me straight for sure. It's important for our listeners to know that most of this, most of your work was at the time that legislation went through and bef- but before the implementation. So you kind of caught the zeitgeist of the times and the angst of the time between 2011 and 2014. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I wanted, that was kind of a strategic choice, right? I wanted to see, there's a lot you wouldn't learn if you looked only at the period after the mandate, right? So, I mean, it was a lucky, lucky that I was trying to, you know, write a dissertation before the mandate, but it was useful to see, okay, what does it look like when people are using paper logs and what does it look like when they're using e-logs? And so I tried to, you know, do both. Like I went to a, I went to four different firms over the course of the research and I, you know, two of them were using electronic logs and two of them were using e-logs. And I talked to trucker, lots of truckers who were using both to try to get a sense for kind of what the variations were and what people were concerned about coming down the pike. And then of course I talked to a lot more people after the mandate went through um, but you're right, right? Like that was definitely this period of transition where people kind of saw this coming, right? And it had been brought up several times before, right, by the government. It had been challenged legally and, you know, delayed in various ways. But I think everyone kind of knew this was likely to happen. And by 2012, um, there was, uh, Obama had signed a bill saying like the FMCSA is going to have to do this, right? Like if you, they had no choice in the matter anymore, really. Levy refers there to the MAP-21 highway bill that year which directed establishment of what would become FMCSA's electronic logging device mandate, and which would eventually be implemented beginning in late 2017. So yeah, it was a little bit preordained, but but it was a good moment to kind of capture what these anxieties look like. So after MAP 21 gets signed uh, into law, then that's when it really, it becomes just a constant rolling uh, matter of, um, journalistic interest for Overdrive Magazine. And we have a, uh, a colleague of ours who wrote under the pseudonym West Memphis uh, chronicled his transition into electronic logs. But what I, what I found interesting as I was reviewing uh, Wes's work is that he, um, so many of the comments uh, on these articles just resonated with what, what you found. And, and I think there's, there's a certain I've spoken to drivers who have read your book, and there's there's a certain deep respect that that just regular working truck drivers have for what you've done, and um, because it's like they I, maybe it's because they they felt seen and heard in that, and um, but it's also in, in reading some of the articles uh, about um, data driven, which which I, I got on audiobook, thankfully, and I. I metabolized the, the book in a very trucker-like way. I listened to it over and over again, which I, I 
speaking to someone who is an academic, I feel a little bit embarrassed to say that, but but I, it seems to me that you you approach this uh, with a lot more rhetorical modesty than some of the articles suggest. It, it seems to me the central thesis is that we're, uh, truckers are the canary in, in the mine shaft, as it were, and um, and this this is an important way of looking at what remote work is going to uh, become in a wider context. It, was that was that part of what drove you to uh, to do this? Yeah, it's a good question. I certainly think, I mean, not to say it was good timing, but as work has shifted and more people, as you point out, work remotely or, you know, digital technologies that supervise workers are cheaper and easier to come by across all different industries, right? Certainly trucking, but, you know, lots of other industries too. I mean, warehouse work and, you know, even things like finance and law, like you just see a lot more of this kind of remote monitoring. So I do think, you know, I think truckers are special in, I mean, obviously truckers are special in lots of ways. I think trucking as an industry has some unique aspects that make surveillance in this in this context, like especially interesting. But I think you're onto something when you say that this is also maybe an indicator of what's to come, right, for other folks. So my hope is that the book, you know, is of interest to truckers or people who care about trucking, but also speaks to these kind of broader dynamics around management and labor across lots of different industries. I was just reading, um, there's this article that came out in the New York Times maybe a year ago, where it's about productivity monitoring. And they don't talk about trucking, but they talk about all these other professions. And one of the people they talk to is a hospice chaplain, which you would think is like, you know, maybe the least quantifiable work, right? Like the work of a hospice chaplain is so personal, right? It seems like hard to score that or like assign a number to it in any kind of way. But they talk about how this hospice chaplain has to deal with like this point system, right? That her um, employer has instituted that tracks where she is and she gets a certain number of points for different lengths of visits and stuff. And she just talking about how it's changed, you know, her work and how it flies in the face of kind of what it is that she thinks she does all day, right? Which is this very personal interaction with people who are about to leave this world. And, you know, I mean, that's maybe an extreme example, but I do think it really hits home that this type of monitoring, right, they're trying to kind of, you know, get a sense for what workers are, are doing, you know, to maybe to the detriment of trusting them to do what's best, um, is something that a lot of folks are beginning to encounter across different, different types of work. You make this distinction between, you know, the original argument, well, why would you object to a device which electronically monitors your hours of service? to what came with that, um, which was the fleet management systems. And in many cases, yeah. as, as in the weather, this you constantly refer to the this weather channel uh, discussion between dispatch and, and an ostensibly sleeping driver. And uh, could you could you talk about that exchange a little bit? Because I think it, it so beautifully epitomizes how badly fleet management systems can go. So the exchange you're talking about, Paula, is this exchange that was in Landline Magazine way back in December 2013. And they reprinted it because it's this really, it's this pretty wild exchange between a driver and a dispatcher via a fleet management system, where the dispatcher is at like one minute increments you know, kind of harassing the driver to get back on the road, right? And is saying like, you have hours, you're going to service fail this load. Um, you know, I can tell that, you know, you, you got to go, you got to go, right? Like really pushing him. And the driver says, 
well, I'm sleeping now, right? Like I can't drive and sleep at the same time. And then a, while, a couple hours pass and then the driver says, there's a bad storm and I can't roll, roll right now. And the dispatcher says like, first the dispatcher says, keep saying you have hours, right? Like basically suggesting that the driver shouldn't be sleeping, shouldn't be tired. And that he knows that because he has you know back out back office access to his hours of service data and then he says you know the weather channel shows that there's only one or two inches of rain in your area so you know you saying that there's a bad storm like that doesn't hold up either and what is really interesting about this exchange i mean one thing that's interesting about it is just that it happened right like folks who've been driving for a while know that you know the idea that your dispatcher can reach out to you at one minute increments while you're driving is not something that happened 20 years ago um but what's also really notable about it is you know the types of information that the dispatcher thinks they have about how tired the driver is or what the local conditions are and how they're using that to challenge the driver's account right to challenge the driver saying i'm sleeping now or to challenge the driver saying the conditions aren't good for me to go and that's so different from what drivers are used to in the industry right like so many drivers told me you know I'm I'm the captain of my ship. The whole reason I got into trucking is because I wanted to be able to make decisions on my own. That's the way it's been, right? For the the decades or the millions of miles of safe driving I've been doing. Like I'm a professional. This is what I do. And you can just see how these new technologies fly in the face of that professionalism and trust. When a dispatcher can say, like, eh, I actually know better than you, even though I'm hundreds of miles away. So I, you know, and and of course the the federal mandate, right? The ELD mandate doesn't require all of that stuff, right? It doesn't require the dispatcher to have a weather overlay of the map or to, you know, talk to drivers in a particular way, but it does facilitate that, right? Because those technologies are built sort of on top of the ELD, right? And kind of comprise this fleet management system that is much more common now in trucks. So it just really changes a lot about how truckers are managed you know, on top of that, and this is something that, you know, there's been really good trucking trade press about, you know, there's kind of this idea that these data that are gathered about truckers and their whereabouts also have value to a bunch of third parties, right? So insurance companies or companies that sell services like parking to truckers. So there's a lot of value, right, for managers and for these third parties that come from ELDs. There's arguably less less value for drivers, right? It's not obvious exactly how drivers benefit from having these in the truck. It just speaks to the whole onset of aggregated information and predictive analysis, analytics. We're a few years out now from when a lot of the research on this book has been done. And, and, and I'm, so I try to approach the, the topic of ELDs with the same rhetorical modesty that, that you've approached this book. And, and I, you know, I, I made the transition. It was a difficult transition because it, it changed the entire culture um, around uh, trucking. And I think what's interesting about that exchange is who that driver was interacting with was probably not the type of people that I've worked with and worked for. You know, I usually and what you had, like, say, in the 90s, the 80s was like the culture of the entrepreneur. Um who built the company. So you've got, you know, these iconic photographs of JB Hunt and his cowboy hat and the story of JB Hunt coming from nothing with one truck and building this this massive fleet and 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 a lot of that was rooted in the character of the good old boy made good. 
And so, mm-hmm. and, and obviously JB Hunt wasn't on the other end of the phone line every time you called, but it was the, the culture of the entrepreneurial, you know, vision of America. And, and, and then I can remember Dave Nemo, you know, had Fry Miller Trucking had a longstanding account with uh, the road gang um, when Dave Nemo was an all night DJ. And he would say, and Don Fry Miller is out in his truck right now, trucking work, if you, you know, work for the trucker, you know, and it's, yeah. so there was, there was a sense of camaraderie and I, and I always, and you, you probably know this by now, Karen, but in Indiana, there were a lot of farmers with small fleets uh, of 20, 30 trucks because these were complementary skill sets. They already had the shop. They already had the tools. So why not get into a little trucking, haul a little grain? And, uh, and these were all just like, good old boys who were breaking the same rules that you were breaking when they were out in the trucks. So, and, and you speak to mm-hmm. that early in the book when, you know, you speak to how there was a certain camaraderie and a, a certain um, persuasive uh, sense of solidarity with labor that, that used to exist that early ethnographers identified like in, in the incident of the, people being allowed to smoke in the mines and stuff like that. And, and ELDs sort of take that all away. And now you're being run by a technocrat in an office who probably knows how to run a computer, but doesn't know what a fifth wheel is. And so the, the culture of trucking has, has necessitated ELDs has necessitated this great changing of the guard. Yeah, I really think there's something to that. I mean, the type of knowledge I think that's valued in a trucking firm, and this is maybe true just, you know, across the managerial class generally, right, in other industries too, but certainly in trucking, um, is, as you said, right, data analysis, uh, like the ability to predict things, kind of like the, you know, management consultant framework for finding inefficiency, almost regardless of what the industry is or what the work in that industry looks like, right? Like it's very driven by the bottom line. and sometimes that happens to the exclusion of actually knowing how people like how the industry functions or how people do their work. So it tends to be a little more based on um, these kind of principles of expertise that are divorced from the actual labor that people do. Like I, I agree with that, um, you know. And one thing that I think we see happening, and this is something I talk about in the book, is like to, if, if you try to impose order on an industry or a group of people working together, and you do that without on the ground knowledge of how it is that people are getting things done, right? You do it kind of based on this abstract notion of, of what work looks like or you know how it is that people are interacting, you're almost certain to miss the boat, right? You're gonna solve the wrong problem or you're gonna solve the problem for the people with the most money or the most power, but you know in a way that maybe is to the detriment of the people who are actually out there taking risk and doing work. And I think that's what's happened in trucking. And I think um, you know the entire ELD mandate and the framework from which it stems is kind of based on this idea that, you know, the problem in trucking is that people are breaking the rules, right? And not that the problem in trucking is that people are incentivized to drive themselves sometimes quite literally to death, right? Or that the problem is that we haven't set up an infrastructure for people to get the rest they need, or that people aren't paid for their labor, or that we detain them, you know, for hours on end unpaid. I mean, those are the problems if, you know, one thing that was really striking to me when I talked to truckers is that like they, of course, know what the real problems in the industry are, right? Like any trucker will tell you what the problems in the industry are, sometimes at length and with colorful language. But the people making decisions, right, or deciding how it is we're going to 
address problems are sometimes solving the wrong problems, right? They're solving problems based on this kind of false sense of, you know, how the industry actually functions or why people are breaking the rules, right? They kind of don't get to the root cause of hours of service violations. They just stop with, you know, well, this is the rule and we need people to follow it more closely. So, so anyway, I take that point, right, that, that you raised about kind of the ways in which kind of the people who are in power or doing management or making decisions are maybe um, uh, less informed by what the work actually looks like. Paul here raised a reference in Data Driven to the historian Alan Derrickson's book about what he calls the, quote, cult of manly wakefulness in America. The old sleep is for sissy saw and the very real first responder type instinct that can set in all of us to get the job done in a crisis. A crisis like, Marhofer noted, 12 hours worth of unexpected attention and drive to make up that time, part of what contributed to tragedy for Paul, as he shared with Levy here too, when he wrecked his Western star well more than a decade ago now. It's a story he told in our Over the Road podcast series. Find it back in the Overdrive Radio podcast feed wherever you're listening. It re-aired here beginning in late 2020. You know, there's there's quantitative studies that talk about the relationship between detention time and safety um, or the wage structure in trucking and safety outcomes, right? So we have statistics, but I think what we need are statistics and stories, right? And that's a, a lot of why I decided to study this topic in the way I did, where I could try to hear the stories of, you know, folks who are actually doing the work and have, you know, put, are putting themselves at risk and sometimes have suffered, you know, really awful consequences as a result of the political economy of the industry or the way it's arranged. Um, and, you know, to your point, Paul, about um, manly wakefulness, right, this idea that people feel the need to, I, I think the way Derrickson puts it is to stay in the saddle, right, and, you know, stamina becomes really central because people have to do it, right, like they have no choice but to do that, even if, you know, to your point about like what your doctor was telling you, even if you know you shouldn't, right, or that it's not the safest thing to do, when you're faced with financial incentives like drivers are faced with, it's not surprising that, you know, people sort of sometimes act against their own interests, right? Because like you have to, you have to weigh risk versus the short-term need to, you know, keep the lights on at home. Um, you know, you raised earlier this quote from a driver that I reproduced at some length in the book about how it isn't like an effing party, right? And I thought that that driver was so, was one of the best people I talked to, right? And he really made clear for me that, you know, we can talk like cowboys and we can um, talk about, you know, the culture of trucking and it sounds like it's fun. And, you know, I admit like the reason he said these things to me was because I was kind of like, like truckers are fun people to talk to, right? And there's like a lot of storytelling and, um, you know, it can be like an interesting, fun culture to get into. But he really set me straight, right? By saying like, you know what, like, this is a gloss on an economic need, right? Like, I have to drive when I'm tired. Like, I have no choice, right? Like, I can't feed my family if I don't do it. And so if I act like it's, you know, if I act like stamina is fun, right? Or if I if I kind of like challenge myself to stay in the saddle, like that's a necessity for me. I'm not doing that because like it's fun to put myself at risk. It's because, you know, this is this is what's required of me. This is what the industry requires of me. So it's important, I think, to keep those things in one's mind at once. Like that was something I really learned from getting to talk to people that I certainly wouldn't have learned if I was just analyzing, you know, the crash data in my office. Um, and that's why, you know, one reason I'm just deep, deeply, deeply grateful to the trucking community for sharing those stories with me. Like it's just been an unbelievably humbling experience to get to know drivers and to hear about the pressures that they face on the road. 
I love this quote that you have from Ann Bailey, the, the oral historian who wrote Semi-Queer, and she describes uh, truckers are trucking with years of experience mixed with sheer desperation. And that's um, leading up to e-logs. Maybe that was what the, 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 the cultural gloss was covering of the, the outlaw, the, tr the cowboy. Um, and you still see that. It's a funny thing. Trucking has almost become this um, this two parallel industries. There are still people who who um, have been able to uh, retain those trappings, and 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 there are some very aesthetically beautiful trucks out there. And then there's the rest mm -hmm. of us who who you know are company guys who wound up you know having to just go along with what the government mandated and. And a lot of us are in slow trucks with, you know, I'm in a slow plain Jane blue freight liner. I don't know if the desperation has completely left, uh, but I will say this, um, and I'm rambling a bit, but I, I hope you, I, we're both from Indiana, so we, we can roll with this. Um, <laughs> when you talk Absolutely. to the work, work to rule, uh, you know, how, how ELDs created this work to rule labor action. I wonder if some positives did not evolve from that, because as a company driver, I think I've had seven raises since uh, electronic logs came out. I see it as sort of a mixed bag. Yeah, maybe this is surprising to some people, but in the end of the book, I actually don't come down on the side of like, you know, what we should do is just throw out all the e-logs, right? Like, I'm not confident that that's a good thing. I think there are some benefits potentially to them, as you point out, when they're, you know, operated with an eye towards driver's interests. It sounds like, I mean, I don't, I don't know who you're working for, right? But it sounds like if they're giving you repeated raises, they recognize your value in a way that I think a lot of trucking firms tend not to, I think. Um, the sense I've gotten from talking to some other drivers is that there's sort of, and this is actually something uh, Gord McGill said to me the other day, that there's some desire maybe among some firms to kind of look for lowest common denominator ability um, because, you know, the, the management software allows people to kind of like, it, it discounts the traditional expertise that some drivers might have. And it sounds like that's not something that's happening in your situation, which is certainly a good thing. I think ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, after thinking about the ELD for a long time, my take is not that like there is no role for electronic logging and trucking. Like I think there may well be a role for it. What I do think it tells us though is that the ELD is not effectively it's not solving the safety problem, right? Like the the quantitative data that we have demonstrate that if anything, crashes and fatalities have gone up since the mandate. In large part, because in some part at least, because speeding has gone up since the mandate, right? Because people feel. Um, more of a squeeze to get from A to B in 11 hours than they did before. Um, so if our if our thinking is that, you know, this is a safety technology, it's like failing on its own terms. Um, that isn't to say that it can't have some positive impact or that it might not be like part of a solution. But I think in my view, what would make it, you know, the solutions we actually need are economic, right, are, are based on paying people um, for the work that they're doing. And it's great that, you know, to your point that some truckers are seeing six-figure salaries or six-figure wages at this point. You know, by and large, trucker wages have been really stagnant over the last 15 years, um, and they're about half of what they were in 1980. So we have a long way to go. Um, but I would love to see that, right? I certainly think that you know some of the the work that policymakers are just beginning to do, you know, to kind of think about 
um, the FMC exemption, FM, sorry, the um, Fair Labor, the FLSA exemption, the Fair Labor Standards Act exemption that keeps truckers from getting overtime. You know, it's good to see that folks in Washington are beginning to think about that, are beginning to think about the relationship between detention time and safety outcomes. You know, that to me is, you know, in some ways the ELD is a bit of a red herring because the real problem, in my view, is those pressures on, on drivers. I think Michael Belcher was the first one that, that pointed out, you know, yeah. when, when deregulation occurred, then, then this almost this re-regulation of the individual took its place. Yeah. He talks about the new regulatory imperative. And, and um, as I read those comments in, in Overdrive, it seemed like so many of those, so many of those commentators were, were spot on. And I thought, you know, everything they're saying is right, but it, it, it doesn't seem it will it will never have any collective heft uh, if you will because you know it's that that's the maybe the um the after effect of deregulation and the breaking of unions um mm -hmm. it's very difficult for for people to throw this off collectively it would seem to me and 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 to your point i i don't find myself as an apologist uh, of electronic logging uh, but I, I, on the other hand, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't see it as all bad. And I don't see it as all good. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think that does make a lot of sense. Um, and you know, to the extent that I talk about this in the book too, there are some kind of silver linings potentially if, you know, if one of the things we want to do is be able to quantify detention time, for example, right? Like, because policymakers tend to speak in the language of, you know, money, right? And numbers, mm -hmm. you know, may, it, this is certainly not enough in its own, like on its own, but if ELDs help us quantify how much, you know, of truckers time is lost to detention, that's not a bad thing, right? Like there are some good things from getting that visibility into, into, you know, what people are dealing with, um, you know, so, and, and I have certainly talked to companies and to drivers at companies that have implemented ELDs in ways that are like pretty sensitive to drivers. And a lot of it, I think, is people who tend to have a longer term view and value retention of really well qualified drivers over just like churning people out. Um, I think people who really want to keep a strong workforce have a tendency to think differently about how they're going to use technologies like this, right? And like maybe they don't collect all the data that the fleet management system enables, or, you know, they think about how to actually provide for their workers' needs. Um, you know, and don't just like expect them to bear all the risk with no support, right? And and the ELD can be part of that process. Um, there's some really good, it's not studies I've done, but some studies I cite in the book, some really good comparative studies about companies that have rolled out ELDs kind of in different ways, right? Like in, in these are like experiments where they, you know, talk to different firms and have them roll them out with different kind of programs that focus on um, culture and wages and things like that. And you can see that like, the ELD is not one thing, right? Like it can be used in lots of different ways. And so maybe it can be part of a, part of a solution, um, but I, I think it can't solve problems on its own. Um, and sometimes some companies use it in ways that certainly exacerbate problems and place truckers under even more pressure than, um, than they were facing before. I'm not sure how much there is in this book that truckers don't know, right? Like I think truckers know what the problems are in their industry um, and they know the challenges that they face in, in doing the work that they do. But to have, you know, gotten to know folks in this industry and to continue to be 
so welcomed by the folks who are doing this work, who certainly have better things to do with their time than answer my dumb questions about the ELD mandate. Um, it's just been an incredibly, it's just been an incredible honor. And I, there's nothing, um, there's nothing I can say to, to communicate my gratitude, except that I really hope that the book does justice to the stories that people have told me. Again, that's Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance by Karen Levy. Find more about the book from Marhofer in the post that will house this podcast for Monday, July 10, 2023, where you'll also find links to Overdrive's State of Surveillance Special Report, as noted at the top. Find a direct link to the main story in the show notes, too. For those listening on the feed, the link will be live Monday, wherever you're listening. Overdrive Radio is available via Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Overcast.fm, and so many other podcasting services. Subscribe to access these episodes early, and if you haven't, leave Overdrive Radio a rating or review wherever you're listening. No doubt it helps other interested owners find the show. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Bills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker-songwriter Long Haul Paul Marhofer, who we heard from today, of course. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis, the snake man himself, Whammock. Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tishomingo Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor, Matt Cole, Social media coordinator Holly Young, executive editor Alex Locke, and video editors Lawson Ludesler and Mr. Andrew Glenn. Next week, we're dropping in with Henry Seaton to take a look at the future of safety rules and potentially fully automated electronic inspections. More in the State of Surveillance series. See you next time.